Hello, church. My name is Jake, and we will now be reading today's passage from 2 Kings chapter 2, verses 5 through 14. Please follow along in your own Bible or the screen. The sons of the prophets who were at Jericho drew near to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from over you? And he answered, Yes, I know. Keep it quiet. Then Elisha said to him, Please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. But he said, As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. Fifty men of the sons of the prophets also went and stood at some distance from them, as they both were standing by the Jordan. Then Elijah took his cloak and rolled it up and struck the water, and the water was parted to the one side and to the other, till the two of them could go over on dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Ask what I shall do for you before I am taken from you. And Elisha said, Please let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. And he said, You have asked a hard thing, yet... If you see me as I am being taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if you do not see me, it shall not be so. And as they still went on and talked, behold, chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it and he cried, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And he saw them, he saw him no more. Then he took hold of his own clothes and tore them in two pieces. And he took up the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. Then he took the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and struck the water, saying, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And when he had struck the water, the water was parted to the one side and to the other, and Elisha went over. This is the reading of God's word. Amen. Uh, it's difficult to follow up when Jake's reading scripture, so <laughs> thank you. I wish I was as good at anything as he was reading scripture, so thankful for that. Uh, today we'll be finishing uh, <clears throat> our series through Elijah. By the way, my name is Eugene. I'm a member of the pastoral staff here. Um, I want to thank you guys for being here. Uh, I hope you had a great time kind of just surveying Elijah's life the last three weeks. Um, but today we come to the end of his life. It's a, he has a very short stint in the Old Testament, um, but leaves a heavy and deep impact. And what we want to do is to see what, what does the end of Elijah's life uh, give wisdom to us today. Um, I was at <clears throat> California's Adventures two days ago, uh, with, or yeah, Friday, with, with both my kids and my wife. Uh, splendid time. Um, Disneyland is great. Uh, Disney is excellent at creating these uh, experiences. Um, I am not like a Disney uh, addict, and like and people are. And I was and I was there for a, the whole day, and you know you have a lot of downtime, um, just standing in line, just pushing a stroller at least for myself. And I remember thinking to myself uh, while I was kind of taking everything in, uh, this is very similar to church, uh, meaning like you know it, it costs something to get in. Uh, for some of us here, I know coming to church is a cost. I mean, you guys are all busy. But there are varying levels of enthusiasm once you enter into the gates, right? You have some, like, adults, no kids, like, dressed up. And I'm like, hey, 
Whatever floats your boat, that's awesome, right? Others of us are just kind of like there because of family, right? It's like, I'm here because of my kids, right? Um, and and you know, I realize for church, often varying levels of whatever your motivation is bring you here. And I want to be clear. I, I think at True North, we are thankful that you just come, right? But as I was in, you know, California Adventure, uh, one thing I noticed was uh, there, there's these things people uh, called VIP guides, if you didn't know. Uh, they wear these like checkered vests or these plaid vests. And basically, uh, they take care of your whole day for you, right? They literally say, these are the stops we're going to go. These are the rides we're going to ride. These are the food we're going to eat. And the beauty is you never have to wait. And it's so annoying as a peasant as I just sit there <laughs> Like for 45 minutes, and this happy fan, and they're all happy. They're like, Excuse me, excuse me. I'm like, Excuse me, where are you going? It's like, Oh, a VIP guide, don't touch me, right? I was like, Oh, my bad. And they cost $1,000 an hour to, to hire, right? So I'll, I'll, uh, I'll never have that. Or maybe like I can get like two minutes and just like, Hey, just get me in this ride and then peace. Um, but often when I saw that, I think for many of us, uh, deep down inside, there can be a temptation to think that our discipleship mirrors that. So meaning, if I pay enough, maybe not money, but my time, if I'm holy enough, if I don't cuss too much, if I stay sober, if I don't watch porn, if I do these things, God, if I pay the right amount, my life and my discipleship will be smooth and easy. I'll get on the rides, no weights, I'll be happy because everything is fine. And deep down inside often, I think for many of us, the temptation can be, that is what we think discipleship is. We come enough on this Sunday, we say the right prayers enough, we tithe enough, we come out to community group here and there, and then Allah, we are happy in our discipleship journeys. But the problem is it's not like that. Elijah and Elisha show us it's not like that. That discipleship, the journey of following Jesus is not a event, but it's a journey. It's like my own journey in Disneyland. I had to wait, uh, there's this great Toy Story ride, and we were waiting for like 45 minutes and literally, I can see the car, and I'm so excited. My kids are going crazy. And on intercom, it's like, by the way, the ride is closed. Please exit, right? So much of our life, even if you've been in the church for a long time, can feel like that. You're like, man, I'm following God. I'm doing the right things. I'm coming out, yet nothing seems to click. Why is that? Well, what I hope to do is show us through the story of Elijah's ascent into heaven that we have some wisdom in how to parse our way through discipleship, we have to see that Elijah is primarily a precursor to Jesus, that Jesus is ultimately the true Elijah. I mean, if you look at this story close enough, and if you are familiar with Jesus' story, especially his death, there might be a lot of things that sound similar. Elisha cries out, my father, my father, so does Jesus on the cross. These prophets ask Elisha three times, is that your master? Three times Peter is asked, is that your master? And he denies them. The similarities are there for a reason. When you read this as a Christian, you're supposed to say, ah, this is a sneak peek into Jesus. Meaning this, Elijah and Elisha's journey together is here in this passage so that we can deepen our own discipleship journey. This will almost be almost like a sequel to last week's sermon as Elijah calls Elisha into ministry. And the question I want to ask us today is this. What does Elijah's ascent and Elisha taking that mantle show us about our own spiritual journey, about our own discipleship? Right? Three things I hope to show you today. First, that discipleship is a journey. 
Secondly, the discipleship requires human bonds. And third, that discipleship is ultimately about the presence of the Lord. First and foremost, discipleship is a journey. Uh, I couldn't uh, have Jake read the whole passage because it's a little bit lengthy. Um, but there's some parts that he missed, which are kind of the important parts. Maybe I should have added it in. But um, as Elijah is being ascended into heaven, the narrator specifically tells you in the beginning that, hey, Elijah is going to heaven in a whirlwind. He is destined for that. And what happens is this is almost like Elijah's farewell tour. And throughout the journey to get there, where Elijah's going to get ascended to heaven, Elijah and Elisha stop by four cities. You kind of mention it in verse 5, but this is going to be important for us, so stick with me. They stop by Gilgal, then Bethel, then Jericho, then the Jordan. Gilgal, Bethel, Jericho, and the Jordan. If you look at a map, um, geographically, it makes no sense why they cross this path. It's literally if I told you, like, hey, I went to Bakersfield and Sacramento, and then San Diego, and then now I'm in Seattle. It's like, that, that, that doesn't make sense, right? Why would you do that? Now, why is the reason, like, if I was a Jewish reader, you would know that too. You'd be like, that, that, that's not the right route, right? That's not what Google Scrolls tells you to go, basically, right? Why is that? Well, the author, if you ever have, like, if there's ever random information in your text, there's a reason. The author is trying to key in on something. And for a Jewish reader at that time, those four cities, Gilgal, Bethel, Jericho, and Jordan, are of huge significance to them. Huge significance. They are all major areas of Israel's history being played out. So why is it that Elijah and Elijah stop by these four cities until Elijah gets taken up into heaven in a whirlwind by chariots of fire and the horsemen of Israel? Why is that? Because they're purposely put there in a, for a reason, for the reader to see this, that for Elijah to reach his final ascent, into the infinite presence of God, that it takes a journey of stages to get there. Discipleship is not an event, but a journey that we're all on different stages. You know, I'm a pastor, and often I hear a lot of testimonies. And a varying degree, most of the testimonies that I've heard, at least in America, uh, sound like a Disney movie including myself often when I share it, right? It's like, oh, I was like, you know, I was like doing drugs or like I was just lost. You know, I was played basketball with people. I found Jesus and now my life is great and this is where I'm at. And I wish life was like that. I wish it was, if that was true, it would just be like, hey, following Jesus is like getting a VIP guide and you're fine. But the problem is it's not. The problem is for many of us, we have to see this, that there are nuances to your own spiritual journey to arrive where God wants you to arrive at before you reach eternity. And you see this throughout Scripture. The, look, the, we think the minute Jesus enters into our life, the minute we pray, oh, Jesus be our Savior, life will be fine. It will not. I promise you. Why? Because even in the Old Testament, that is not true. Moses, the, the person who led the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt, had to go through a journey. He had to go through his own doubts that he was not capable of being a leader. And that journey allowed him through that time to part the Red Sea, to bring the people of God into safety. Abraham, the person that God promises you will be, the person I start my nation with, had to overcome his own selfishness to bring about his true sons, to bring about 
not just Israel, but the coming of Jesus. Joseph, if you know the story of Joseph a couple months ago that we preached, he had to be imprisoned. He had to literally go through a darkness of his life for almost a decade, for years on years, so that he could free his family. What does that all mean for us? So much of our own frustration with ourselves, so much of our frustration with even those around us at our church or in our families, may be from the ignorance that discipleship, that spiritual life is not a event, it is a journey with stages. And if we ignore that, if we don't see the nuances of that, then we're gonna ultimately be always frustrated with where we're at and where those around us are with as well. It's like parenting. Um, there's, there's a huge baby boom at our church, and it's awesome. There's like a huge like baby contingent like behind you guys too, and that, that's awesome. And for me, as a parent, I've got two kids. My favorite stage, my favorite month of my life was when Eli, when I had, first of all, when I had one kid, right? Not that, you know, multiple kids are not bad, but when you had one kid, and, and that first month you bring them to church, to me was awesome, right? Because first of all, everyone comes like, oh, like, can I hold them? So, yeah, yeah, peace, right? And they're cute. Like, right, and if they're like, ah, they're screaming, just stick a ball in their face and they stop, right? And they're not walking yet, so you can like just put them down and like, you know, enjoy a game, watch a movie, enjoy your life, basically, right? Instagram them, it's cute. But what you realize as a parent is, there's different stages to your children. And the stages that my children are at are, at are not the ones that, you know, I enjoy in comparison, right? You know, and I love the stage that they're in. But, you know, I, I cannot treat my son Elijah like he's three months old when he's five years old because he's walking, right? He talks back, right? He wants to do certain things. I can't just be like, hey, just, just like, uh, here's a phone. Like, like a, it has to be a different way to parent them in a different stage that they're in. Why am I all saying this? Because of this. All of us, if you are committed to following Jesus, are on that journey, and it comes with different stages, and what Elijah and Elisha are showing us in the scriptures is for Elijah to get to where he is promised, right? In verse one of chapter two, which we weren't able to read, and it won't be up on the screen, but the, the author is very clear. Now, when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind, Elijah has made it. He has prophesied, this is, you're going to enter into perfect union with the presence of God. But the reason God takes them on this four city farewell tour is to show all of us, especially the readers of Israel, but as today, that discipleship is a journey with different stages. What are those stages? Now, I, I can't you know, go through all of them, but often a lot of commentators will note that these four cities mirror the four stages a lot of us go through on our own spiritual journeys. The first is this Gilgal. Gilgal, what that means is it's the first campsite that Israel made when they entered into the promised land. So if you, if you don't know the story of Israel, Israel is, uh, at least in Exodus, taken captive by Egypt, and slowly Moses gets them out of slavery, and they wander in the desert for 40 years. Joshua, the successor, comes, and finally God promises him, I'm going to take you into the land that was promised, the promised land, and you cross the Jordan. And Gilgal represents the first campsite after entering into the promised land. What does that mean for us? Why do Elijah and Elisha start their journey to the end of Elijah's life there. The first stage of all of our spiritual journeys, whether you're an Israelite or a New Testament Christian, is this. You encounter God's promises. And it's, this stage is full of excitement and emotion. I, I, I call this, if you've been at church long enough, the retreat stage. 
This is when you get saved like four years in a row at a dark night, right? And it's, I'm not making fun of it. That's a necessary stage. And you know, I, I know I can sound cynical like 24-7, but I want to make this clear too. None of these stages are better than the other. It's just a natural growth stage of your life. But this first stage is that one where you encounter God's promises. You're full of excitement and emotion. Your main desire is, I want to learn. I want to learn more information. I want to learn how God works. I'm curious, and I just want to read up everything. It's what I call the retreat stage, and it's a beautiful time. The problem is you can't stay there because your emotions and excitement and that retreat vibe can only last so long, and your body will break down. You just can't live off emotion long enough. So next, Elijah and Elisha, they go from Gilgal to Bethel. Well, Bethel is in the Hebrew, is the house of God. The reason it's called the house of God is I'm, I'm going to throw out a lot of Old Testament characters, but just stick with me. Jacob, who's one of the sons of Abraham, has a, has a dream of, of this ladder entering himself into heaven, very prophetic of what is about to happen to Elijah. And at the end of that dream, Jacob kind of explains in Genesis, oh, this, this place, this place called Bethel is full, it's, it's pungent with the presence of God. See, what this author is trying to tell us is this, the next stage of your spiritual journey, it's not just you experience God's promises, but all of a sudden you experience God's presence. It's God's promises coupled with God's presence. And, and the main stage is if you're excited in stage one, stage two, this next stage called Bethel, is you, you become humbled. Because no longer are you just excited that God is out there, but you become humble because, oh, you feel God's presence and it feels so weighty over you. It's a desire not just to seek God with your mind, but with your soul. And all of us kind of have a moment where this clicks if you've been in church long enough. For me, when you have your, at least when I have my kids, there was a moment where I felt like I needed more than just information. I needed God to be real, to help me with my kids. And I want to be careful here. When I say God's presence, I don't mean an emotional response inside of you. I mean a deep longing in the soul that, wait, I don't just need God up here. I need God in all of my being. So Bethel comes. What's the next city that Elijah and Elisha go to? They go from Gilgal to Bethel to Jericho. Why Jericho? If you don't remember the story of Jericho, um, it's the, it, so they enter into the promised land. And the first thing that they see after they make camp in Gilgal is this fortified city called Jericho of Canaanites. And this city wants to kill them. So imagine, these Israelites are like, man, I'm, I'm, you know, this is awesome. God's presence is with us. We have the Ark of the Covenant. And the first thing they see is a group of people heavily armed in a fortified city saying, we want to annihilate you. Why is this here? That's why I spend a couple of minutes here too. This stage is often the most difficult one because we don't want to face this stage. This stage in our spiritual journeys is when you encounter an event, a period, a darkness in your life, a wall in your life that feels like God has completely left me. And it doesn't mean to be a particular moment. It could be a major death. It could be a major loss. It could be a lot of things. But it's a period or a moment in your life where you realize God, I don't think you're here. It feels like you're gone. And what happens in this moment, in this stage, this stage unsettles you. It unmasks you. It reveals what is truly keeping God's presence away from your soul. 
And the problem is, and I would dare to venture for most of us here at our truth, we, we, True North, we get to stage one, we slowly get to stage two, but every one of us get to this part of stage three where something comes up, it could be a death, it could be just, I don't know, you just don't feel the same. And what happens is for many of us, we look at it and we're like, ah, we're good, I'm walking the other way. But what God is inviting us to, just as we see in this story, is that on the other side of that darkness, on the other side of whatever you feel like, man, it feels like God has left. On the other side of that is a deep transformation. Uh, this could be a different sermon, and it probably will be in the future, but many of us go through what often uh, theologians call the dark night of the soul, where it just feels like, you know, it's, it's a very, uh, you know, um, Hollywood-esque uh, phrase, but it means exactly that, that you feel like your soul is in complete black darkness. And what God is promising you here is on the other side of that is me. Because what's the last city that they encounter before they enter into the place that Elijah goes up? The Jordan. They go from Gilgal to Bethel to Jericho and they, they, they cross the Jordan River. Now why is that? The Jordan River was what separated Israel from the promised land. And what that represents is this. There is a deeper stage in your spiritual journey that we should all yearn for. One of deep transformation. Look, I, I would ask you this. Um, many of us are here for different reasons, just like I mentioned Disneyland. Some of us are here for you. Some of you are here because your spouse is here. Some of you are here just because your kids are here. And again, I want to be very uh, careful. We welcome all. We're glad that you're even here because we know how much it can take to come here. But let me challenge you with this. Often we think, even those that want to be here, we think that the end of our spiritual journey is all about information. It's all about changing our behavior. It's all about saying the right things. But what Elijah and Elisha are showing us is this. The ultimate goal of our spiritual journeys is not self-improvement, but is complete transformation of the soul. Like you've met people that are here. These are the type of people who don't care how they're perceived, but have a deep care for everyone around them that they don't rely on God to bless them, but they want to be used by God to bless those around them. Right? These are the people that I've met, and you know, I, I wouldn't say that I'm here, but these are the people that I've met where they're not, they're not curious about answers from God, of like, God, where, you know, will I get this or will I get that? But they're more like, God, where will you send me? They're not really worried about their giftings. They're more worried about, where God, where are you calling me to? This is a stage where your curiosity is no longer, how does God work? Your curiosity is, well, how can God work in me? How can Jesus work in me? Not just, hey, he's forgiven my sins, and that's very true, but how will that truth now change my relationships, my parenting, my family, my friendships, my money, everything around me? And lastly, what happens is they go from Gilgal to Bethel to Jericho to Jordan. Elijah is taken up in a whirlwind. This last miraculous stage that we see, as Elisha witnesses from the city tour, Elijah swept up into heaven in a whirlwind, is what we're all ultimately hoping our spiritual journey ends with. And this is what we need to be reminded of. Your spiritual journey here on earth is not to make you a better worker, not to make you a better parent. It's not, God is not here so that he can secure your future real estate lease. What he's here for is this, to get you just like Elijah, into a world went into heaven to have perfect union with God's presence. Because that is deep down inside of what we are seeking. Whether we know it or not, 
That's the journey that Elijah and Elisha show us we're called to in discipleship. I know that was a, you know, like a shotgun information, but let me tell you this. I don't want you to get too caught up in like, well, the whole stage, where am I, where am I moving to? But the question I want to ask you as we move on to this sermon is this, where are you at? Where are you at? Where do you feel you're at? And, and more importantly, where do you feel like is the next stage that God is drawing you to? And this moves to my second point, and I'll make the last two points a little quicker, is this. For you to be able to move on to these spiritual stages, you need what Elijah and Elisha show us, a bond with those around you. What, um, there's a deep loyalty that Elisha has to Elijah. Um, I want to make it very clear. Uh, Elisha, if you remember uh, Jay's sermon that he preached last week, it was 1 Kings chapter 19. Six years have passed. You don't hear a peep from Elisha. We don't hear a miracle, a story, a speech, nothing. The, the first story of Elisha is, hey, you're called into ministry. The second story of Elisha is, hey, Elijah's gone, peace. And what does uh, Elisha keep telling Elijah? As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. That's important. Because this is the thing. So much of church, and it's true, the spiritual journey should be primarily how we are connected to the Lord. But one thing all throughout scripture that is emphasized, especially here, is this. There is a bond with those around you that is needed to keep your relationship with the Lord healthy. As the Lord lives, as you yourself live, I will not leave you. Even in the time of Jesus, as Elijah is pointing to, Jesus ensured that all the ministry his disciples did was always not by themselves, but two by two. And this is the thing, um, it would have been easier if they just sent out all 12 separately. But Jesus always says, no, everything we do is in community for a reason. Why is that? Really quick, if you, if you are here so far and you're like, hey, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not in Disneyland, as you mentioned, and all this is crazy, like I'm good. Let me challenge you with this. If you, if you feel a little far from God or you're skeptical, or you're just here visiting, and you don't consider yourself a Christian, um, I would tell you this. Uh, we are meant to be connected to other people. Now, why is that? Right? In this, I posted about this a couple weeks ago on my Instagram. But in this moment in America, it's the loneliest moment we've ever been in on, on a recorded stage. Like, we have phones. We have apps. Like, you, you know, you, you don't need to find your significant other by going to a bar anymore. You can literally do it by swiping. Right? And I know we can make fun of that, but that's crazy when you think about it. The, the marvel of technology. But with all of that, we feel more alone than ever. Why? Well, so much of what we've done is create this system and this culture where we are more individual than ever because we think, well, as long as we're by ourselves, we'll be fine. And in a secular mindset, that should be true. You don't need anything other than what you need, and you're fine. Derek Thompson writes this about America at this moment. America is suffering a kind of ritual recession with fewer community-based routines and more entertainment for and empowerment of individuals and the aloneness that they choose. What he's saying is, look, there is no space for community anymore in the, in the world. And, and two things, if you are not a believer, but especially if you are a believer, let me, let me lend out an invitation. This is a very unique space that we're in right now. Um, this is the one of the lasting institutions in this society where we're forced to meet in person, where we have this thing called community groups at our church where once a week you have to meet with people. And often, oftentimes it's great. Oftentimes it can feel like a drain to go. But if you've been at church for a while, let me challenge you with this. I think for us as Christians, we overvalue 
and we overestimate the privilege of community that we have. Many of your coworkers don't have spaces like this where they can gather and meet with others. We're called to be connected because we're incomplete without human connections because that's how God has designed us. That's what Elijah and Elisha show, that the journey that they go on cannot be kept if they, do it, if they did it by themselves. Why does God make Elijah pick this random boy in the field, a rich boy that doesn't really have the prof, prophetic makeup because God knew Elijah could not do this alone? So for us, what does that mean? Elijah and Elisha show us the depths of bonds that our community, that our church is called to forge, ones of discipleship and ones of mentorship. Let me put it simply like this. Um, all of us need an Elijah in our lives. All of us need an Elisha in our lives. I don't care where you are in the stage that I just mentioned, whether you're in stage one, stage two, stage three, maybe even stage four especially. If this is true, then this rings very true to you. But for each stage, we all can find an Elijah. We all can find an Elisha. We all can find someone that we can pour into. We all can find someone that we can humbly learn from. That's what we're called to do. We're called to be priests in this place. That's what Peter says. It's not just me and Jay that are called to do the work of the ministry. All of us who believe in Christ have this privilege. So some of us, we need to find an Elijah. You know, some of us are in our early stages of our discipleship and you feel kind of lost or confused. And some of us might need the humility to admit you cannot do this on your own. You need those in your life to guide you. And often this, God will use others to push you along to different stages, meaning that you're like, you feel stuck in your spiritual journey. Well, maybe you feel stuck because you don't have anyone pushing you just as Elijah did to Elisha. Find those around, and I promise you this, this is the uniqueness of our church. We have people, the only thing that should connect us here is not our age, not our vocation, not our salary. The only thing that should connect us is that we either committed to Christ or have a curiosity about Jesus. Meaning, you have people from all ranges of life, all ranges of life experience. So some of us, and this is the thing, I know it's like, well, where do we, where do we go? Do we need to sign up for a program? And look, we're, we're gonna do our best to set those up. But so much of this, if you look at the Bible, there, like Elisha did not sign up for the prophetic program 101. This random old dude came, put a cloak on his back and said, hey, uh, you're gonna be a prophet, right? It was an organic relationship. So some of us were like, man, I, I would love a mentor, but you, you can find one here. I promise you that. Others of us, and let me speak to the majority of us too, um, you also need to find your own Elishas. Uh, you need to find someone that when Elisha says, Elijah, can I have a double portion of your spirit? What he's saying is, can you bless me like your eldest son? Some of us here, I would ask you this. Can you find someone that you leave such a deep impact in their life that they would ask for your blessing? And I know that sounds pretentious, but it's biblical. That's what we're called to do. A true mark of spiritual maturity is this. It's not how close you are to God. A true mark of spiritual maturity is how close you bring others to God. If, you, if you're like, oh, I'm spiritually mature, and I'm like, oh, why? It's like, well, I, I know, you know, I have complete orthodoxy. I, I know everything I need to know. I would say you're very far from spiritual maturity. True spiritual maturity all throughout Scripture is not just what you know about God, but bringing others closer to Jesus. We are most like Jesus when we are admiring others, when we're affirming 
others, when we're offering them whatever we can from our own lives as help to them, when we pour our lives into them, find your own Elisha, find your own Elijah, because that's the bonds that we need to walk through the discipleship called, the journey called discipleship. So discipleship is a journey. Discipleship requires human bonds, but let me end with this. Discipleship is ultimately about the presence of the Lord. With all this being said, um, you know, I, I, I don't want to create this like system where it's like, hey, what stage are you on? It's like, oh, I'm stage three, like stay away from me. That's, that's not what I'm asking. All I'm asking you is this. Each stage is an invitation to a deeper awareness of God's presence. Every relationship you can make on a spiritual basis at our church is to invite you into a deeper awareness of God's presence in your life. And again, let me really speak really quickly to those who may be like, hey, so far, like, I, I'm, you know, I'm new to this. This sounds crazy. Let me speak to you. Um, if you find yourself and struggling maybe, like, is God even real? Like, is, like, why am I here? Like, I get it. You know, that was me at Disneyland. Like, why am I here? I look at my children like, oh, I get it. Let me, let me remind you of this. All of our souls, especially in the Silicon Valley, you would know this to be true. Uh, we're restless. We're so restless. Um, I walked into a cafe. Let me tell you this. Uh, you walk into any cafe in, in the region, it tells you so well how the culture moves. I was in SoCal, um, and I walked into like a little cafe. I felt so insecure, right? Like people were dressed to the nines, like they had makeup. They were like taking Instagram like selfies and stuff, and they were dressed like crazy. And I was like, whoa, like I, I need to leave. I come to Silicon Valley. It's very different, right? That that has its own set of issues. But you come to Silicon Valley, like you know. Someone's dressed like, you know, they're, they're living off the streets, but they could be rich. I don't know, right? Because all they're doing in our cafes, all I see on the screens is just code. It's code. It's like I walk into the matrix, any cafe I go into, right? Now, why is that? Because in our region, the restlessness comes out in, if I just get to that next career, if I just get to that next securement of, of, a, of a phase, of a job, whatever it may be, if I just secure this, then I'll be happy. Why, why, why do we have that, that drive in us? Let me ask you that. And you'll be like, oh, I'm all, I'm all about that grind. I got a dog in me. It's like, no, no, let me, let me really ask you. Why are you so desperate? Why are you so scared that if you don't get that, that you won't be happy? Have you ever asked yourself that? Because I ask myself all that time too. I, look, I'm just like you too in my own weird pastoral way, which I can't get into here, right? But all of us have that. Why is that? Why is it that we keep searching for something that this world cannot give us? And we know that to be true. Like, I, there's this great article about dopamine hits. But, like, you know this. Like, if, you know back in the day when you post Instagram posts and you, like, you get notifications each time someone liked it. You look at it and you're just like, it's fine. But then it's like, yes, this feels like a drug, right? Why? Because deep down inside every soul, every human being, the reason I even talk about discipleship is we are in need of God's presence. That's what we're looking for. It, it cannot be found in your vocations, in your wealth, in your admiration, in your perception. And I'm not saying any of those things are bad. But C.S. Lewis puts it this way. If I, find myself in desire, if I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. What Elijah and Elisha are showing us is that Elijah swept up into heaven, is that ultimately that is our end goal. We are restless here because we're not meant to be here. And we try and figure out our way. Like if we just create a strong enough fire, God, just like the old times, we'll be happy. If we just create this Tower of Babel, we'll be happy. 
but it's not because we're in need of God's presence. We're in need to be in made. We're, we're in need of a union with our creator, something the greater Elijah gives us. And this, this thing that we need, God's presence in our lives, let me tell you this, it comes freely. Not just through Jesus, but it's hinted here in the story of Elijah. Elisha's fears are slowly coming out. At the end of the story, Elijah's gone, and he has a cloak. And let me just, again, give you context. It's like this. The story so far is like, let's just take True North, right? And let's say uh, Jay randomly came to the bay and put his backpack on me. And I was like, who are you? It's like, oh, you will be the associate pastor of True North. And I was like, can I say bye to my mom and dad? It's like, you do you, right? I'm like, okay. I go and I, you know, burn my stuff, whatever it may be, and I, and I follow, follow Jay, right? And, and, you, and this is the thing. You don't even see me. Right? I'm in the background, and just like for six years, you don't see me. And, and all of a sudden, the last year, he, I pop out out of nowhere, right? And if you think about it, Elisha has all these prophets around him. And Elisha's left holding the cloak. And it's like if Jay was like, hey, this is our associate pastor, first time meeting him. I've been training him for six years in the back. He's been just, you know, making breakfast, whatever it may be. Peace, I'm gone, right? And I'm just standing there. And I'm like, oh, I would be terrified. And this is what Elisha feels, and at the end of the story, this stanza, he says this, where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? He is, that, that, this is not a rhetorical question. He is being like, God, where in the world are you? Because the presence, I don't feel equipped to hold your presence. I, I, I have not said a miracle. I have not said a speech. I have not done anything. Who am I to carry your legacy? And he doubts himself, he doubts God. Because what does he say? He says, where's the Lord, the God of, not Elisha, the God of Elijah. He doesn't even consider him to be worthy of a follower of this God. And you know what? Elisha's right. Who is this fool? Like, no one knows who he is. I, if I was reading, I'd be like, you're saying this guy's going to carry on the prophetic word of the Lord? But what happens? Elisha takes Elijah's cloak and throws it into the Jordan River, and the river splits. And what that shows you is this, God's presence cannot be bought. God's presence does not come if you're achieving more. God's presence does not come if you're tithing more. God's presence comes freely to all with grace. God's presence is not in one person. It's not just in Pastor Jay. It's not just in the leaders of our church. God's presence is available to all of us freely because that's what grace is. Now, what is this pointing to? Ultimately, it's pointing to the greater Elijah, so much of this story has so much similarities to Jesus. And what it's saying is this. Just as, you know, Elisha had Elijah's cloak that gave him the confidence that even though I'm not equipped, I have the presence of the Lord. What we have is Jesus' blood that is stronger than Elijah's cloak. That doesn't just cover our doubts, it covers our sins. Jesus went to the cross and although Elisha stayed with Elijah three times, every time the disciples were asked, who is this your master? They all leave. Jesus went to the cross, not in a whirlwind or a fire of chariot above. He went to the cross bloodied and dead with his body. Jesus went to the cross not to part the Jordan to enter into eternity, but to part the sin that we have so that we can freely receive God's presence, no matter what stage we're in, no matter who we're discipling or who we're not discipling. Let me end with this. No matter where you are on your spiritual journeys, God's presence is freely available for you through Jesus on the cross. Even though you feel ill-equipped, even though you feel terrified, even if you feel like, man, I'm stage one, I'm stage zero from your stage, God's presence is freely available for you on the cross, just as it was to Elisha, an absolute nobody. Let us walk in faith, 
that in our discipleship, our goal is not to become better people, but beings closer to the presence of God through the blood of Christ that covers us. Let's pray.